Welcome to Inside Impact, where we give you a behind-the-scenes peek at how organizations can create positive change in their communities. I'm Melissa Hur, founder of Unity Web Agency, and on the show today, we're headed to New York City to meet with Lindsay Siegel from Company Ventures and Troy Walcott from People's Choice. Lindsay is the head of impact at a different kind of venture capital fund, Company Ventures. They're not just looking at profitability and return on investment. They partner with the next generation of entrepreneurs, those who are seeking to build with purpose. It all started when she was running the entrepreneurship program at the City College of New York, working with students who wanted to do more than just start a company. And that's where this this all started to click. It was innovation, entrepreneurship, opportunity, dreaming big meets uh, impact. Entrepreneurs are idealists and they are visionaries and they are in it because they have the belief that they can create something totally new and optimism that comes with that, which means when you start to talk about like systems of oppression and like, you know, structural racism, there are ways to bring that into that optimism to say, and you can design to do better than that. Company Ventures has worked with over 250 founders who share a common dream of building companies the right way. One of those companies is People's Choice. And for co-founder Troy Walcott, his journey to impactful entrepreneurship started after a 20-year career working with Time Warner Cable. In 2017, once Spectrum took over from Time Warner Cable, they immediately looked to attack the union part of the workforce, which I was a part of. At the point where they looked to take away our retirement, our medical and everything else, we ended up having to go on strike. It wasn't too far into the strike that we saw that they had a different idea of what they were doing. It wasn't more about, you know, trying to negotiate for lower rates. They looked like they were, you know, trying to eliminate more of a way of life of unions. We came up with the idea that we may need to think of something different. We collectively as workers put together our money to pull together to come up with a business plan. And we said, you know what, what if the city owned the cable system? So that way we could at least have some accountability. We can elect people in and out, you know, guarantee good jobs. We gave the business plan to city officials. They loved it, but no one moved on that. So we said, you know what? We already built the system. The people don't like the cable companies and what they're doing. Why don't we join together with the public and we could own the cable system? And that's where we started moving. It wasn't until we actually got on that path that I learned that what we were doing was a cooperative. So, mm-hmm. so um, into that introduction, um, someone that was helping us early on during the process while we were on strike, Eric Foreman, was able to still connect and work with us and connected us to, I think this was during the third year of our strike and at the height of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was a grant and um, two companies, Metro IF and Black Power, were charged with trying to build out a system to provide internet service to these people who are now locked in their homes and couldn't have access to the rest of the world. We were already looking to try to build out a system that could have ownership between us and the community. He was able to link us both together and we were able to start building out these systems. So now the cooperative idea that we had to try to build these systems had a jump start, and we were able to now you know, handle even more of a dire need because these people now needed this system. Honestly, they always needed it immediately, but now it's just highlighted more and we were able to help get it done. And so we started, we started moving on that goal from there aligning what we had as our cooperative goal to build out and make this thing possible with the immediate need to provide service to these underserved areas. That's incredible. I wish that 
I guess I hope that that kind of model can spread to other communities. Have you heard interest from elsewhere about that model that you're building already in New York City? I mean, I've seen a lot of things that now relate to it, even with the uh, talk of the infrastructure bill and how things are built, being built out. The question is, if it's built out and we're using this money to solve this problem, does it solve the problem if we give it to the same people and put them in the same position as it was before? Or can we look to do something a little different, like, you know, mm-hmm. providing ownership of the system they build where the money now is not just about providing internet service, but what if the money from the internet service and portions of the bill that people now have to pay every month can be recycled and reinvested right back into the community and the community gets a say in how those dollars are invested to improve the community. Yeah. So it's like creating, you know, providing a need that's there and creating an economic empowerment for that community. And that economic empowerment can start to make societal changes within those communities. So it's kind of like a kind of like perpetual motion kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) It gives me feels. That's really cool. I'm really excited that you're on this show and we could talk about kind of this merging or not merging, but like how company ventures and the city fellowship is able to really help companies like People's Choice get off the ground. Is that how you think about company ventures and like this fellowship that you're in? Yeah, yeah. Because honestly, we can't even believe we're here. Like, honestly, we're just some so cable workers, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're going back to do what we're doing. I mean, this new side of it, having business added to it is new to us. But I mean, it was awesome when we were able to kind of contact with Lindsay and find out we are part of the fellowship. You know, that felt awesome because number one, it kind of adds some validation to what you're doing because, you know, a lot of people thought that we wouldn't get to even where we're at now. A lot of people that work with us didn't think that we could get now. <laughs> the goal that was too big to be true. But now to be able to be part of this and have interaction with something as big as the fellowship program and have all these other people who have um, like minds working together to try to find to solve similar problems to what we're doing, to be able to be where we're at just and be part of that is like way, way, way beyond amazing and anything we thought was possible at this time. So, yeah, we are definitely ready to like deepen dig and learn as much as we can to figure out how we can help what we're doing now and starting as a small, you know, piece of the puzzle that people need grow to something bigger and help be to something way beyond internet, you know? Yeah, definitely. I really love talking with founders and people that work in this impact space to really get a behind the scenes look at all that hard work from the inside. So, so far, I'm curious about with your time in building this cooperative, what is something that you've learned that you didn't expect to learn? Something I've learned is to trust in the process and not the results. Like when we started doing this, even sometimes we would take little videos because I think about it like, when you when this business, if this business becomes what we want it to be, it's like we're not doing anything major in one day that makes you just a big business. It's just like every day we're going to work and we're doing a small thing that takes to make the business grow a little more, a little more. We just have to go install antenna this day. We have to go speak to this development. We have to do that. And little by little, you don't know, but you know, a couple of years later, all those little things added up to make you where you are. And just trying to take note of where we're at now and what's happening. So, you know, you can realize that going forward. I would say something that, you know, I'm really trying to take in is there's going to be failures in the, you know, in the process and going along and try not to take every failure as a, a setback because honestly, failures help you move forward. But just look at it as like, don't get too high if something great happens that day. Don't get too low if something happens that day. Just 
each part is part of the process. So we just continue to process until you get to the end and just trust that, you know, you're doing the right thing. I think that's something I'm learning as we're going right now. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious, like, if you felt any kind of entrepreneurial drive even before this started, like, what did you think you were going to be doing with your life? I definitely felt entrepreneurial drive. I don't know if you know of um, back in the days with the late night TV, the Carlton Sheets kind of thing. Uh-huh. That was me. I was like, I'm, I'm going to go do some real estate. I got the book and read all of it, kind of do it. But after all that, I was like, you know what? I just need these excuses. Everybody kind of starts to give themselves, even the entrepreneurs before they get to the point. I was like, no, but you know what? I need some kind of money to get it. I was like, okay, I started working for the cable company. I work here for a year or two. And then I, you know, I have enough money and go back into real estate. And 20 years later, I'm working. <laughs> at- <laughs> but one of the goals I always had was try to use business to try to affect change as well. And I know to, in order to mm-hmm. do these things, you have to be able to have the resources and money to be able to do it. So I always saw one as a means to get to the next. And then it was just how long it would take me to get there. And then also, you know, putting it forward, but entrepreneurial and trying to do something different than just the norm, because I wanted to, to try to affect change on a bigger level was always part of my thought process. So how did you first get connected with company ventures? Um, most of that is through, I call Eric the connector. We call him the connector. <laughs> uh, yeah, because as we were, we are, are building the system, a lot of these, because of his work already in trying to develop and put together cooperatives, he always has a pulse on what's going on and what's happening. So he says, you know, this is something great. I think it would be great for you to be a part of. And I said, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely on board. Is sound like something I want to be involved in, a group that I would want to be a part of, because that will help not only the company grow, but me personally as well. So grateful that he was able to get me and to be help be a part of this program. So, Lindsay, when a company is looking at venture capital firms and investors and things like that, most of them, it seems like, only care about the traditional bottom line of profit rather than the triple bottom line of people, planet, and profit. And so it's really interesting. I love what you're doing or what Company Ventures is doing. And I'm curious about like if you can talk a little bit about how Company Ventures is different and kind of what makes it stand out in that way. I mean, I think you're right that the typical venture capital firm is looking at the single P, the you know, the profitability of their investments, that's what they are in business to do. I think there's also like a whole world of impact investing, you know, or ESG focused investing where there's, you know, all sorts of ways that firms are looking at different measurable impacts as part of their investment thesis. Company Ventures falls on the venture capital side of that conversation, but believes that you can align good intentions and values with profitability and like the the business outcomes that are necessary for a venture firm, that there isn't actually a trade-off if it's designed into the company. What that translates to is creating opportunities to have deep conversations with founders that, that encourage that discussion right from the beginning, like I was saying earlier, but also conversations with those investing in our firm to say there's actually room for alignment here in ways that like we believe in the long-term prospects of these investments, you know, in the sustainability of our portfolio, because we believe that the intentions are aligned with 
what the world requires, <laughs> right? Like it's not that hard. It's not like you have to only meet the needs of X community. It's like what the world requires is that you operate as a good company. What yeah. your employees require is that you operate as a responsible company. The people who want to buy your product expect you to be operating as a good company. So the conversation that I don't think happens enough in the startup space is how do you how do you do that? How do you design for it? How do you bake that in right at the beginning? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, on the venture side of, of what we do, like those are the conversations we get to have. Yeah. I think what you said is, is that's key is about how it doesn't have to be a trade-off. The, both of those two things can be true at the same time. You can have impact on the world and you can be profitable. And I do think I've seen that a lot in terms of, you know, investors or that they think that it's like, oh, well, you're an impact company, so you're not going to have any profit. And that's just not true. (laughs) So I love that. I love that that's something that you're educating people about. I think there's just so many different models of getting good work done. Yeah. So (laughs) I think (laughs) like from the capital side of it, you know, there, you can have different ideas of where you want your money to go. And that's valid, right? And that's valid to say, I'm, I'm only going to invest in those companies solving issues related to our climate crisis. Like that is what I need to do. Good. Do that. Move money in that direction. We need you desperately, right? But there's also just room for other types of investment. And there's plenty of incredible entrepreneurs out there that are doing other things that can fit into other types of capital that's available to them. And I think similarly for startups, there may be some that like are very mission driven and are not trying to maximize on profit. Like that, that's also okay for some subset of the innovation space. But I think there's just like lots of places to play and ways to find alignment that really can all out be, you know, a hugely successful and scalable business and also be done be built well. Yeah. So do you only work with companies in New York? No, our portfolio is not only in New York City. Most of the companies that have company ventures investment have actually come through another one of our programs, which is called Grand Central Tech, which is a residency program. So they spent a year working amongst us in our office, but that doesn't mean they're always solely in New York City. That said, we've been in, you know, we are based out of 335 Madison. We are like physically located in New York and care a lot about New York. And most of these startups in our community, you know, are here, are in New York City and are coming from, you know, all the boroughs and are taking the train and are sending their kids to school and are, you know, deeply embedded in New York's everything that is New York, which is part of why, like, I think all the venture firms that operate in New York City need to think broadly about their role in New York City. You mm-hmm. know? So that's part of the reason that this building this fellowship has been so exciting, because it's like, we care about New York, we care about like what that means for all New Yorkers, both because it's good for the company, but because we we're here, like, <laughs> yeah, it's your home. It's our home. Yeah. I'm curious, Troy, what kind of impact you've already seen in your community from founding People's Choice? One of the things I know a couple of uh, standouts are, like once we initially started, one of the first multiple dwelling units that we built out, and we were on a call to speak to the residents, to let them know the service was being turned on, 
And one of the residents, their service, their kid was on Zoom at that time from home and the service went out. We were all on the Zoom call. I said, you know what? Our service is on in the building. Try putting in this passcode, put it in. They put in the passcode. Like she's back on now. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, I mean, and that was like early on, like during like when I first, the first multiple dwelling units. So that was like ultra cool to see, like, you know, you could directly see the impact and help. And, and then we also yeah. other people who are um, like, uh, it was uh, another elderly lady in the building who couldn't contact her son from far away. She didn't have internet access. So they were, we were able to show her how to use, say, WhatsApp to now connect and speak to her, you know, children afar. And just, being able to provide the service we're providing now, um, taking advantage of some of the federal benefits that it takes a lot of time and investment in order to, you know, put this in these communities. We're willing to invest that because we also live in these communities mm -hmm. and now having, being able to use it to do say like laptop distributions. So people who didn't have, you know, even uh, you could give them internet, but now how do they get on and providing those services? So like day by day, just seeing some of the things we're doing and, and, and seeing how it's helping people is definitely like, you know, giving some like, credence to what we're doing. Like, yo, we are actually helping people. So. Yeah. Lindsay, what are some ways that investors can ensure they're supporting responsible businesses? I think there's a pretty important opportunity for investors to think broadly about the impact that they have, whether they're paying attention to it or not. For example, what kind of technology we are creating and what's the kind of ethical implications of that technology so much of that comes back to investor intent. Who has access to funding? Why is 2% of venture capital making its way to women founders? Why is 0.2% of venture capital making its way to Black women founders? Like, who is getting access to money? Investors need to pay attention to that and to do better on that. Ultimately, like what problems are we solving through technology? I think there's just such a wide array of incredible innovation that can be net positive for our communities and for society. And it's part of why it's so exciting to work with people like Troy, to work with the other fellows that are in this program who are thinking hard about how to make our city stronger by starting with the individual benefit, like of who actually is benefiting from technology, right? And put them at the center of the story instead of the, you know, the more typical venture opportunity. I think there's just room for investors to think a little bit differently about which problems we're solving and who should be solving them. But then I also think there's there's this newer conversation to have about Law firms have pro bono hours that they are required to allocate for nonprofit organizations. What is the pro bono equivalent for firms like ours, right? Venture firms that have a ton of resources and expertise that can be more broadly applied than how they look at their work day to day. So I think when I think about responsibility, I think about that. You've got a ton of money, like there's wealth movement that needs to happen, but you also have so many other advantages and connections and resources that can be deployed in a way that's really responsible and better for society. I think there's also a need for some humility. <laughs> I think that the way that Venture has blown into so much of our 
economy, so much emphasis on raising that venture capital in order to build your business. But the the fact that like Troy comes to the work that he's doing after 20 years of developing deep expertise, right? And like deep relationships with the communities where he's working, like there's so much power to that, that I don't think is the typical conversation that happens in, in the world of venture capital. So mm-hmm. couldn't we as a business sector, not only just VC, but as a business sector, take some humility in that we don't have all the answers. We don't know all the problems to solve. We need to listen a little bit better, especially to people with proximate experience and deep expertise in areas that are sort of outside of the normal kind of pattern matching that goes on in venture and think more creatively about who we design our capital to to support and benefit. Mm -hmm. Troy, I'm curious from your perspective, what are some ways that founders can ensure that they're building responsible businesses? I always try to think of it as, as for ourselves and what we're doing is try to operate from the part of trying to serve. If you're going and trying to serve that your people that you're working for, I think that adds to the fact of trying to help the community that you're in. But also, you know, you you have to think of it from a mindset of both ends. And this is why it's it's kind of like a being worker and owning the company as well for both us and the customer gives you some insight into that because you want to be able to, on the customer side, make it so things are affordable so people can have access. But then from the business side, you also have to think about ways to be able to be profitable enough to keep the business running. So to keep that balance in mind and, and see that, you know, both ends are needed, but then especially like a cable company where profits are so baked into it, just from the way they operate and because it's a need, it's not bad to have that profit in there. But the question is, is there purpose behind that profit? And what do you do with it? So now mm-hmm. if you want to become profitable, you can take that money and, and you know, use it to, you know, expand the business to be able to to you know reduce workers and gain more profit and have a higher standing as far as being able to sell the company or mm-hmm. you take that profit and take a step back less invest in the communities we're coming from so more people can have a step up and we can have expand our customer base because now more people can so it all just it's, it's all on the decision of how you decide to use those profits that's coming in and if you always think in mind of well what will be the ser- best service to the community so if you put that at the forefront of your mind I think it kind of answers itself where you can have both. It doesn't have to be where it's one or the other. You can just, you know, try to have it with a, a purpose behind that profit. Which, by the way, like, then your employees are not fighting against you. Right. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> they're excited to come and, sh- and show up for your work every day, right? Because they believe in it and because it's they know the good that comes out of what they're doing every day. Yep. It's a lot harder to fight when you got to fight against yourself. Like, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my business, so I'm really passionate about that, making work a place that people love to come. And my business, I haven't even talked about my business yet. Not that this episode is about me at all, but what we do at Unity Web Agency is focus on building websites that are accessible and inclusive for companies and nonprofits that are making an impact in their communities. When I started the company, I was really passionate about creating a place that was for people to work where they felt like they were making a difference in the world, but then also where they felt comfortable being themselves and really love being their whole self at work. 
And Lindsay, you talked about the importance of engaging our whole selves at work. And I'm curious, from your perspective, what does that mean? I think about this on a few levels. One comes back to what Troy was saying was, what's the purpose of, for you, right? Like, do something with your time that feels purposeful. And if you have any options in front of you, pick the one that aligns with a sense of purpose for you. And I think tied to that is like, and it it brings you joy or it's fun or you see something rewarding and positive about what you're choosing to do every day. We spend so much of our time at work in our lives. Like it's it's hard to show up every day and be fully engaged in that massive part of your life if you're not able to identify any sense of, of purpose. So that's that's one piece of it. And the other is what's the environment around you that it, that creates a sense of belonging for you to show up fully as the person you are, which is not just who you may see on a screen right now, but it's everything else in my life that makes me who I am. So what are we doing to intentionally build culture at our organizations, at our companies that encourage people to believe, be who they are, right? Never feel othered, feel like there's a growth trajectory for them there, feel that there's flexibility to enable them to deal with their loved ones, you know, whatever the things are that are unique to all of your people, like you have to just take into consideration that we are a full being with lots of stuff going on in life. But Troy, I actually want to ask this of you, like, that sense of purpose, you've just got me kind of going down that path. But what what does it mean to you and the building of people's choice communications in terms of like what it feels like to show up and be part of that team? As far as the team, I think it's a little different for us because, I mean, right now, it's the five-year anniversary of our strike. So all the workers for our company, like we've been through like a real struggle together through this point. And now to all come back together and do something that we've done for all this time, but now have a different purpose behind it where we you could walk around and we look through New York City and we see this entire system that we built out that was, you know, more or less taken away from us. And now we rebuild in the city and we have it now with like, well, now we always talk, what can we do with this system? You know, if we could, you know, help people with it or or if we have the extra money coming in, what will we do to try to help the community? So it's not so much about building the company to have money in the bank just to say it's there. It's like each dollar is with, okay, how can we build this part out of the company to help do this? Or mm-hmm. we want to be able to, you know, be able to add a community. This community needs a daycare center. So how much work do we need to have in order to do that? So each kind of step that we take is with a purpose to it because we have a mindset in mind of, what we want to use this to do as opposed to just what we want to use to kind of just build a business. It's two different paths. Like one is just profit driven to get it done. One is with a purpose. Either way, you still have to be able to make it successful to work. It's just that the, I think the goal in mind to get there is a little shifted for us because like, I mean, honestly, most of us all have been working together for all this time. And I think that's part of being in a union. We already kind of have that collective mindset and now we're just taking and transferring over to what we're doing with this. So it's like one collective group moving towards the same goal with those purposes in mind. 
So I've got a couple questions. I've got really a final question that I want to ask both of you. So I'll start with you, Troy. What person or company doing good has had the biggest impact on you? Honestly, I know one of them is um, I think about to, to kind of model model what we're doing after. As I start thinking about it, is a, a company called Montregard. It's like a very large cooperative. And they started from like, you know, putting workers together. And another one is not really cooperative, but I know um, early on in our strike, we were doing a couple of calls to different places. And when we were doing the thinking of the municipal idea, there is um, EPB is the municipal in Chattanooga where they went to do electric um, use the mines that they were using for electricity. And because they weren't getting served by the local cable companies, they decided to put internet on them. And then they started, you know, doing so good that the company started squeezing them in. Say, okay, you can't expand this past this point. <laughs> and <laughs> the things that um, I like about them is because their customers focus on customer service is so good, and that's what a municipal company. So just seeing things that, you know, model what in, a, in some form or another, what we're trying to do gives me an idea that I hope to try to like model myself, model our company after, but just have different aspects of it within our company, because I want to see, and especially like we work in these neighborhoods and we're building this stuff out and seeing people have so many more problems than just besides the internet. So the additional level be behind what we're doing is to use this as more like an, an organizing tool where people can now, okay, collectively we have internet and we have access, but now we also have this problem. Now we all together behind this, what do we want to do to use this collective power now to do something else to be able to help what we need? And we can use you know this tool that brings us together to do that and also our now economic and, and collective power to try to help get that done. Yeah. I love it. It's like ripples. It's just, it's the... The butterfly effect, you know? <laughs> making one change here. Somebody else made a change in Chattanooga, you know, and yeah. then you learned about that and how you're applying the lessons that you've learned from watching other people yeah. into what you're doing. And then when you get success at one point with people's choice, then you're like, okay, well, then what's the next step? What's the next level of impact that we can have? Who it's else cool. can we help? How else can yeah. we replicate? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Lindsay. What person or company doing good has had the biggest impact on you? Don't be mad, but I have three. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was 21, I bought a one-way ticket from Chicago to Quito, Ecuador, and didn't fully have a plan figured out, but ended up running an eco-lodge in the Andes. And... That lodge is called the Black Sheep Inn, still going today. Everyone should go and visit. It's exquisite. And I, it was my first exposure to the world of social enterprise, the fact that you could build a truly responsible community-oriented business that was paying attention to waste management and water management and recycling and a library and teaching at the school and employing lots of people and investing in the electrification and solar, like just, I, they were doing a lot. And it was kind of like, why would you, why would you make trade-offs here on things like investing in solar energy when you can do that and also run this hotel? Mm -hmm. So it was so, you know, life-changing. And I don't think I had the language for it back then that I was at a social enterprise, but that's where what it was. And it kind of gave me this 
lens by which I continued to navigate different steps in my career, always coming back to like, they're not quite doing it like Black Sheep did. Like, what, <laughs> what was the magic there? So that's my first. My second is when I was in business school, I spent a summer working for Acumen. And Jacqueline Novogratz just continues to be a role model to me of feminine and feminist leadership. I think there's a way of operating in the world with empathy first, mm-hmm. trying to understand first, and then dedicating whatever your talents and resources are towards the best outcomes that you can. So she wrote a book recently called Manifesto for a Moral Revolution, which, you know, everything she does kind of starts with, like, have the integrity to just do it right. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That feels like a a goal. And then the third is I love the Zebras Unite movement. And this is another cooperative, but I think that pulling together all of these kind of yes and leaders who are thinking about how to think broadly about the stakeholders impacted in what they're doing, how to put an equity lens on all of the work that they are trying to achieve and how to pull together communities of those innovators to support one another to build a, uh, other ways of, of building businesses in the world, I think is, is really inspiring. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you again for joining me, Lindsay and Troy. So is there anything else that either of you wanted to share? Nothing other than thank you. I'm very appreciative every time I get a chance and people want to listen and hear about our story. And I see people actually excited about it and more people, you know, like now, like, you know, it's working. So Um, Thank everyone for for that opportunity. Um, Thank you, Troy, for being here and for doing the work that you do. I think that it is so game-changing, just reconsidering the whole model of how an internet service provider can work is inspiring to me to work with you. And Elisa, thanks so much for having us. Thank you so much to Lindsay Siegel and Troy Walcott for coming on the Inside Impact podcast. For more information on Company Ventures, visit companyventures.co. And for People's Choice, visit peopleschoice.coop. That's peopleschoice.coop. And thank you for listening to Inside Impact. If you like this show, we'd love it if you would give us a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using right now. For all of you making an impact in your communities, let's hear about it. Send us an email to podcast at unitywebagency.com and we'll be sure to mention what you're doing on the show or even have you on. This podcast was edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Elisa Hur, and we'll talk to you again soon on Inside Impact.